All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 314. So with that number, we give a shout out to Andy Sullivan. In 2016, midfielder and then Stanford junior Andy Sullivan started the last four U.S. national team games of the year. She played a total of 314 minutes in her very first senior national team games. She went on to be the number one pick in the 2018 NWSL draft and within a year became the captain of the Washington Spirit. Sullivan was in camp with the U.S. Women's National Team this month but did not appear in either Friendly versus Columbia. But she could be called into the February She Believes Cup camp, so... We will see. Speaking of She Believes, uh, first chat in this episode spoke with my friends Jessica and Katie of the Four Kicks podcast, which of course is all about Canada women's soccer. So we spoke about Canada's camp roster for She Believes. It's their first time in the She Believes Cup. Canadian NWSL draftees and uh, former Canadian international Rianne Wilkinson getting the nod as assistant coach for England under Heger Risa. You can check out the Four Kicks podcast. Um, you know, it's iTunes, all those places, and you can also follow them on Twitter. And then I spoke with the newest member of the Houston Dash technical staff, performance analyst Michael Poma. Michael is helping bring Moneyball to women's soccer. Recently graduated from James Madison University with a degree in sports management and has done performance analysts analysis for the U.S. Youth National Team, as well as for Sky Blue last summer during the Challenge Cup. You can follow Michael on Twitter at Women's Soccer Visualizations, which is at WSOCViz, B-I-Z. And between those segments, a little Jen Splainer chat uh, talking about the difference between roster size for the Olympics and the Women's World Cup. And of course, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, either or at Mixzone with two X's or at Keeper Notes. All right, Jen Cooper, the Keeper here with my two favorite Canadians after Christine Sinclair and Aaron McLeod. That is <laughs> Jessica and Katie from the Four Kicks podcast that, of course, is all about Canada soccer. Ladies, why is it that everything is coming up Canada these days. I can't. I can't keep the Maple Leafs out of my head. I mean, Jessica, what's going on? Um, maybe because it's you know our strongest season, winter right now. <laughs> I don't. I don't know, but it's fine. We're okay with it. Yeah, we've got Canada and the She Believes Cup for the first time. We had two Canadian draft picks. We have a Canadian as assistant coach uh, for for the temporary England coaching situation. It, it, it's, it's pretty exciting. So why don't we start with the roster for the camp uh, that, that will lead up to She Believes for Canada. Katie, let, let, let's start with you. Thoughts on that roster when it came out? Any surprises to you? Yeah, Jen, but they were good surprises. So, you know, I was at my nine to five today when this news came out. Um, and so I gave it a glance and uh, my eyes went a little wide because there are some names on here that, you know, we talk about on our show all the time um, who, you know, about players who seem like they're, you know, maybe getting a little bit looked over. Um, and, you know, we've often lamented like, Canada soccer, you need to be looking outside of your regular pool, right? Right. Um, and so we have some names on here that, I mean, they're not unfamiliar names to us. They are familiar names to us, but, you know, they're names that we often hope we're going to hear are getting called into camp, but we don't always hear that they're getting called into camp. So that's, you know, like Evelyn Bien or Bianca St. George, you know, um, people that uh, your listeners will know from the NWSL. Um you know, for some of them, it's their first time getting called into camp. So it's a great surprise. Oh, and I mean, to see someone like St. George, who we didn't really get to see, um, you know, her first year in NWSL because she was injured the entire year, right? So she was just mm-hmm. this, oh, another wasted draft pick. And then boom, 2020 Challenge Cup. You're like, wow. So then my first thought is, wait, if she's Canadian, why haven't we seen her? for the national team. And, and that was kind of my thought too, after watching Jordan Listro during the fall series with, 
Orlando. And Laura Armstrong with the Toronto Star had a great feature on her of, you know, what the players who are just beyond that bubble, what they have to do and go through to keep playing. And, and like, you know, what do I have to do? Where do I have to go to get real consideration, you know, by the national team? Um, Jessica, with with um, Bev Priestman taking over, do you think that has any influence on on this larger pool or maybe some different people being called in? Yeah, I think it does because Bev uh, Priestman had been uh, the assistant coach. She was the U, uh, the youth uh, coach as well, head coach. So she, you know, with this roster, we're seeing some of those young kids that she already identified um, and um, bringing back some kids that we kind of haven't seen for like the likes of Riley Foster, who has been playing really well in the FAWSL. Um, And then you're seeing like Jade Rose and Olivia Smith, who were identified um, through that youth system, which Bev is extremely familiar with. Um, And then, you know, uh, and then Bev also, uh, I heard her on a press call today talking about, um, you know, this is, it's nice that they can actually have a bigger camp, uh, and call in more, you know, more players. Um, so we can get, you know, Vian, St. George, uh, Listro all in, um, and just kind of see who can make the roster for the She Believes Cup. And then who is in contention for making that Olympic roster as well, because that'll be an 18-person roster. So, you know, um, yeah, I think, well, I think, uh, sorry, continue. <laughs> well, I was, I was excited, um, of course, as I mentioned in my open, Erin McLeod, she's back in as one of the four and not, um, Sabrina D'Angelo. What what do you guys think about that? Whoever wants to take that question. <laughs> yeah. So D'Angelo uh, is coming off an ACL injury. Okay. Um, so I think she had surgery four to six months ago. So she's still recovering from that. So, um, I mean, this is okay. This provides an opportunity for Foster to really show, you know, uh, what level she's at. Um, so I think that's a great opportunity for her. Um, and then... Yeah, it's exciting to see McLeod back in there, hopefully uh, fighting for a roster spot. And then, of course, you know, Sheridan like stands on her head in the NWSL. So really hoping to see her get a game um, as well with LeBay as well. Yeah. Well, one of the things I like about Canada's roster pool these last couple of years is that it seems like it's so competitive, right? The, even though it's usually LeBay coming out on top, you know that Sheridan and D'Angelo and, and before her injuries, McLeod were right behind mm-hmm. her, right? And I feel like the U.S. goalkeeper pool had, had dropped off because we weren't rotating in youngsters. And I think that, you know, that's, that's starting to change again, but, but moving away from the goalkeepers, um, talk about some of the young players, uh, you know, Katie, that, that people wouldn't necessarily know about, like, you know, Julia Grosso, who's playing at university of Texas, who, you know, will probably be uh, a good draft pick next year for NWSL or Samantha Chang at South Carolina. Um, you know, what, what do those players potentially bring to this roster? Yeah, so I mean, some of these players, so, you know, we've seen some of the players um, like Julia Grosso, Gabrielle Carl, we've seen them um, called up before. Uh, and, you know, they showed great potential. Like Gabrielle Carl, um, first of all, we were a little bit surprised when, you know, she got passed over really in the, in the recent draft. Um, but she's been you know, she's been really good for Canada in the past. Uh, Samantha Chang, you know, she's not a player I'm as familiar with, but I definitely have heard that, you know, she's a bit of a beast. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, like that's, those are, you know, you know, for some of these players that I haven't personally seen them play a lot because, you know, maybe a lot of their play up until now has been NCAA, for example. Um, You know, when I hear stuff like that, I'm just like, yes, that is what our team needs. Um, Jess, I know that you keep up with uh, NCAA a little bit more. Like, I don't know if you have more to say about some of the young ones. 
Yeah, I think um, especially with Julia Grosso, Jordan Listro, Samantha Chang, who are all midfielders, and then you add Samantha Chang also, she also has done defense. Um, I think that adds um, a really good look for us, uh, just adds a bit more versatility um, because we're a bit thin um, with our midfield choices. Um, I mean, we have some great midfielders, but in terms of depth in, in those positions, we're definitely, that's an area of concern for us. Um, it seems like our forwards, you know, there's there's just so many forwards and Bev Priestman mentioned that like Chloe Lacasse, who plays with Benfica, I'm mm-hmm. probably pronouncing that wrong in Portugal. Um, you know, she's on the radar, but of course she's not going to get a call in because we're, we have a lot of forwards. Um, and you see this with this, this roster or this camp uh, announcement that like a lot of forwards are in there. So we don't really need to look um, at adding additional forwards, but it's really nice to see the likes of, you know, Grosso and Listra and Chang in there just to give us a bit of that depth that we need in the midfield position. And I think this is going to be such an important camp for Canada, um, you know, since it's coming as preparation, not only for the Olympics in July, but also their first appearance in the She Believes Cup. So this is the, what, sixth She Believes Cup. The the U.S. women started it in February 2016. Um, You know, the first several years it was, well, we're bringing you know, the next top three teams in the world. And I'm so glad they started to mix it up Uh the last couple of years, because when it was Germany, France, England, I felt like it was the kind of, you're playing against the same style each time. And so I like once I started mixing it up and we got Japan and Brazil, you know, like when it was Japan, Brazil, England, that kind of thing, it was like three very different styles. Right. Um, And with England saying a while back, okay, you know, they weren't going to come. It obviously, you know, made sense. Bring in Canada for this. We haven't had a USA Canada match since October 2018, right? The, the, the CONCACAF final. And it's such a great rivalry. Uh, you know, so I, so I love that, that they're going to get to be a part of this, especially in a year like this. That's so important, right? This, this isn't just, you know, whatever it's no, we're prepping for the Olympics (laughs) and, and Canada has, uh, you know, the, the, it's almost a burden we'll, we'll say but it's like hey they got bronze in 2012 they got bronze in 2016 you know nothing less than a medal will do and and i'm sure they're shooting for the top medal so um katie talk about uh, you know what this what this year means what being in this tournament means uh, not only to the team but maybe some of the older players like you know matheson and schmidt and scott and sinclair that have been around long enough right where they remember I mean, Sinclair was playing the last time that they <laughs> beat the U.S., um, but they can <laughs> the rival the rivalry has a deeper history for them than it does maybe for some of the younger players. Yeah, for sure. Uh, although I will say this, you know, when it comes to sports, Canada just has this like real scrappy underdog attitude, and so we always want to beat you guys at every sport, um, especially in soccer. So yeah, this year, I mean, this year is huge. So you know, we've already touched on the fact that we have a new head coach, Bev Priestman. You know, we just talked a little bit about some of the mix-up and uh, differences that we're seeing in this camp roster, which could mean that we see you know a little bit of a different tournament roster we've got a lot on the line right now because as fans you know we don't know what to expect from what comes next um we don't know what this team is going to look like with you know with these new links in the chain um and with a new coach at the helm so and and also let's remember everybody we have not really played since the tournoi de france which was in March last year. Like that's right. real that's real close to a year. Like we just haven't gotten those boots in the grass as Ben Priestman was saying um in her presser earlier. So um yeah, I feel like we have a lot on the line in terms of just managing expectations, like in, in terms of saying to have, saying to the world, like this is 
the Canadian team? Because I feel like we don't really know what that looks like right now with all the changes that we've had and and with the, you know, with the stop and play. Luckily, we have, you know, players who've been playing for amazing clubs. Um, so we know that our players are staying sharp that way, but we just haven't been together as a team. Um, and also, I didn't even expect us to get called into She Believes. I mean, it's... It's a prestigious tournament. Like, I'm super pumped that we're going to be in it. Um, slightly less pumped that the U.S. is our very first game. <laughs> feeling a little, <laughs> feeling a little nervous. Would love to get like a Brazil derby under our belts before we play you guys, but that's not the way it's going to go. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know what to expect, but I think that, you know, we're going to get a picture real soon of who this team is right now. Well, and I agree with you. I I was a little bummed when I saw that it was Canada US was the first matchup because historically, I've noticed that they rotate the order of opponents each year of she believes, right? So that it's not falling into the same pattern. So I was I was thinking I was like, "Oh my god, it'd be so cool to finish with USA Canada, right? Because you've got the most Cindy Brazil players and the rivalry and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I guess that's not how the tournament organizers were, were, were thinking. You know, there they go, th- throwing Canada under the bus again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I was psyched that they were in it. It's like, yeah, it's, you know, it, it, it should be as opposed to that initial idea of like, it has to be the other best three teams in the world where I don't think that's necessarily what's of top interest to fans, depending on those who, who those teams are. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, and how they play, like, uh, again, here's three different confederation opponents for the U S three different styles of play, all of whom have qualified, you know, for, for the Olympics. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, that tournament. Um, And of course, you know, speaking of NWSL players, um, there are so many on this roster, but there's also a, a few that just got drafted, or at least one that just got drafted. So you've got Dan Rose got drafted by North Carolina. Uh, Victoria Pickett um, also got drafted, not on this roster, but maybe maybe down the line. But um, Katie, give me some of your thoughts on on the draftees. I mean, I always, I, as I'm tracking this kind of stuff, as I'm prepping for the draft, I'm always trying to find out like who would require, require an international slot. Cause it's not always clear, right? You can't like just go Google somebody's passport status. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> like, I want to know, it's like, Hey, if this coach took, takes his player, he's going to need an international slot. I mean, I knew that for Deanne Rose, I wasn't sure on some of the others, but what do you, what did you think of the draft? Yeah, I mean, so it felt like a bit of a lighter draft this year. I felt like more Canadians got drafted last year, but um, maybe not. I can't remember. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe there wasn't. But I mean, Deanne Rose, first of all, can I just say that um, my reaction to Deanne Rose being uh, drafted is how is Deanne Rose old enough to be getting drafted into the (laughs) NWSL now? Like what? (laughs) What? Uh, I love it. Yeah. So that was, uh, um, to be totally honest, that was my first reaction. I mean, I think any player or any team, sorry, that wants to pick up Deanne Rose, uh, I mean, why wouldn't you? She is incredible. You know, she's young and she, uh, you know, she, she lacks the refinement, of course, that we all do early in our careers. Um, but you know, I'm a, I'm a really big fan of her, um, and I know that she hasn't always been consistent for Canada, but, you know, she scored some real, real good goals for us, uh, dating way back to when she was, what, 15? Um, I know. Yeah, just like a baby, baby red. And, uh, you know, she's only gotten better since then. Victoria Pickett, I mean, you know, she hasn't really uh you know, played with the senior team, so I'm not quite as familiar with her. Um but uh, Jess, I don't know if you have anything that you have to say about Victoria Pickett. Yeah, um, I mean, Victoria Pickett uh, was really, really good for Wisconsin. In 2018, she had kind of a standout year. I believe that year she made the 
what's it called? The Herman Trophy watch list. Yeah. The mm-hmm. yeah. That was just an excellent year for her. Unfortunately, she's, you know, had a couple injuries. Um, but with Canada, you know, we saw her at the Pan Am Games in 2015. Um, yeah, we've seen her at the youth levels. Uh, you know, one of the best players in the NCAA when she's on her game. Um she is she is a little bit older going into her professional environment. So I think she's about 24 because she redshirted, I think, a couple of years. Um so I think, you know, in the midfield, she I she can play a couple positions in the midfield um that will give Kansas City a really nice, you know, diversity in um that area. So I think, you know, I think the expectations uh, are probably pretty high um going into Kansas um and hopefully you know this is just a start of of us seeing more of her in Canada too because I do think if she can perform pretty consistently she she should absolutely be called into camp um I think you know the uh I think she was just coming back from injury when or when she got drafted or she's just healing up uh so even if they wanted to call her in uh they probably couldn't right now so And I think it's a good point to make about players that are drafted a little older, whether it's because they took a fifth year or they had injury or whatever. In a way, I think that can be a benefit to a player, um, you know, being a little bit more mature when they're making the transition from college to pro. Um, It's something I saw with um, Rachel Daly, who, when she was drafted, was just about to turn 25, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And usually usually our draftees are 21, 22, sometimes 23, now dipping into their teams, right? But I think, like... That made the transition for her. This is just a guess, really, but it like it seemed like it made the transition for her a, a little easier, right? Um, you know, so maybe that's something that that can benefit um, Pickett. But um, Jess, also tell me about you know let's 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 move across the pond to the the other big news. Uh, former Canada national teamer Rian Wilkinson uh, getting the gig with Hegarisa. To, to be Reese's assistant uh, running England since Phil Neville left. I mean, did that surprise you or did you do a little um, dance of joy? Just like, yeah, Canada. Um, well, I, to honestly, when we, we heard the news, I was just kind of flabbergasted because when Wilkinson has been just a part of the team, the coaching structure for such a long time that I was just, my jaw just kind of dropped. Um, but we knew that, she didn't get the head coach gig that this was a likely possibility. I mean, you want to be an elite coach, you need to coach in elite systems. Um, so, you know, I think there's something that should be probably celebrated. You know, it's, she is going over to one of the top coaching gigs working with, uh, I mean, Hager Reese is a legend. Um, yeah. And an incredible coach um, with so much experience under her belt um, that I think, you know, even working with Bev Priestman, Bev Priestman doesn't have that much experience. So I think this is a huge, huge step for Wilkinson. Um, and the expectations with England are extremely high. Like, you know, we like to say on our podcast that the Canadian women's national team expectations are very high. But I mean, have you met the English press? They are nasty. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be just a boy, you know, huge, huge pressure. And I think um, Rian will come out the other end of it just, you know, for the better. Um, and it's something that she'll need, hopefully, when she comes back to Canada as our head coach in, you know, maybe five, 10 years. Well, and it's got to be such an intense experience, like I said, with the the English press. But I like that it's, you know, it's a it's a defined term, right? It's yeah. not a, yeah. oh, we're going to test you out. And maybe we'll extend the offer. Yeah. Or it's, or it's, oh, it's, you know, this contract could go for four years. It's like, hey, your stopgap, your stopgap only. So obviously yeah, they want her to succeed. She'll be pressured to succeed. Yeah. Canada wants her to succeed, but she'll have the career aspirations too of like, if I can mm-hmm. do something really good with this, I can get a really great job after this. 
Yeah, this this to me is just such a fantastic, you know, uh, opportunity for her. Even if it is a short amount of time, you're getting thrown in into a different system, completely different player, different play style than Canada, and um, learning from one of the best coaches out there. Um, it's a win win. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so much, I mean, there's been so much Canada going on and that's why I was like, Oh, I have to talk to my girls up North because, you know, <laughs> Canada draft Canada, she believes Rian Wilkinson, you know, is there anything else I'm missing Katie? Is there any other Canada news you want to, you want to throw out there? Well, Jen, uh, <laughs> our listeners really look forward to our frequent weather reports. Um, and so I might as well just let you know that it uh, is minus 30 Celsius here. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit because as Canadians, we do not understand Fahrenheit. Um, but yeah, it, it's, 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 it's very Canadian and cold here right now. Yeah, well, just the fact that time. you said minus, just the fact you said minus... <laughs> Like, like, okay. like that's that that's yeah that's all you have to say right like you don't have to do it the conversion there you're in the minuses <laughs> yes in the deep deep minuses uh i mean know, that's the beauty I... of centigrade right that, that like it's zero is freezing right so it's like exactly. it's minus yeah it's, yeah, it's it's that much easier. Um, you know, I don't know if there's anything else really. Those those I think we hit on all of the big things. But again, just reiterating that uh, that we're really excited to see what uh, happens with this team in the next little while. So if there's anybody out there who um, is is interested in getting into Canadian soccer, now would be the time. <laughs> and 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 they can listen to you guys how do how can they listen to four kicks podcast um they can listen to it at you can probably just start with our website fourkickspodcast.com um you can find all of our episodes there you could subscribe through apple podcasts you can also find us on twitter at four kicks podcast um i think that's probably i can't remember exactly how you find us on android um that's a lot if, if, if you can't find you guys from all that you know they're yeah they're they're just yeah. not looking hard enough well thanks so much <laughs> to you both for taking the time uh you know to talk canada and and stay warm up there okay we'll try we will Time for a little gensplaining. This time, the topic is Olympic roster size versus Women's World Cup roster size. So for us WOSO fans, it's easy to get frustrated with the different roster sizes and formats for various tournaments. And of course, following every Women's World Cup, one of the big topics that comes up is which players will not make the Olympic roster, since the Olympic roster is smaller. So let's talk about why the Olympic roster size, 18, is not as large as that for the Women's World Cup, 23. So the main factor affecting roster size is simply population control. The Olympics is such a huge event and takes place primarily within one metropolitan area. More than 11,000 athletes participated in the Rio Olympics in 2016. Compare that to the 552 who were rostered for the 2019 Women's World Cup, a tournament that was spread out across France. Also, the Olympics is a smaller tournament in general with just 12 teams. So the maximum number of games that any team is going to play is six instead of seven. And more importantly, Olympic roster rules allow teams to travel up to four alternates, unlike the Women's World Cup, where alternates rarely travel and are not announced. So if you look back at 2016, all four of the U.S. national team alternates travel to Brazil for the tournament, and it will be the same this summer. Another big difference, if at any time during the Olympic soccer tournament, a player is deemed unable to participate due to injury or illness, that player can be replaced by an alternate, even if the tournament has already started. For the Women's World Cup, since the roster size is bigger, once a team kicks off its first game, alternates cannot be used. So in a way you can think of, you know, bottom line, just think of the rosters for this summer's Olympics as being 18 plus four instead of just 18. Hope that was helpful. 
All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Michael Poma, the new addition to the Houston Dash technical team, who is actually not a soccer coach, but uh, a soccer analytics expert. I, I don't know, Michael, how, how would you describe your title? Yeah, the title is just a performance analyst. Performance analyst. I like that. I like that. Not a broadcast analyst like myself, a performance analyst. I love this. I love this mm. new direction that that we're seeing not only in women's soccer but but in soccer um so you believe it or not you're just out of college i'm not even going to name your age because it's embarrassing <laughs> to me not to you um <laughs> but i want to hear it about makes you how feel better my birthday will be in a, in a month okay 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 that helps um i want to know how you ended up um finding this niche of not just soccer, but women's soccer and performance analytics. So, you know, you've got a degree in sports management from James Madison in Virginia. Um, and this is a project, or I mean, this is a passion that you developed while you were there. And so, you know, I love that it's something that while you were still at school, you could develop this mm-hmm. thing that then becomes your career. So, so let's, let's hear about you and how you got into soccer and then how you brought analytics into it yeah so <clears throat> from an early age I've always been the best athlete would be the way I'd put it so I kind of navigated over to the more coaching side uh-huh. the early age so I started doing coaching like activities probably around age 15 and at that standpoint I was always bringing some form of analysis into it whether it was video or tilted more towards the data side of things and then I started, really started finding my footing when I coached at a club back home called um, Osaka. And that was, I got to work with, you know, really good people that would let me just kind of explore the ways I thought about the game. And that's really, I think, where I kind of found footing in terms of how I want to navigate and that what analysis should look like in the game and on the flip side, how it comes out in training and game environment. Um, and after that, I think it was being being hooked into the Jamie, the Jamie program um, while in school. And I was just being able to take off from there. But I guess really, and analytics in general, I think it's kind of the Bible for um, nerds would be looking back, reading Moneyball at some point when I was in middle school, maybe. And that's kind of where it clicked in terms of saying, all right, this is what I want to do. I know I'm not playing at a high level later in life. I know this is what I want to do. And um, kind of uh, I've taken sense on well, and, and I think it's interesting that, you know, it's Moneyball, it's it's great It's that it's just, you know, the, the catchphrase for, you know, bringing analytics into sports. And, and um, that's the question that I've started to get lately from from people is like, hey, you know, is is Moneyball happening in, in soccer? And, and I wouldn't say we've gotten to the point yet where at least in women's soccer, where it's really connected to the money part, mm-hmm. right? But but the analytics, right. the analytics are are building, um, yeah. and and that you can for a sport that is not nearly as stat heavy as baseball, right? That we're mm-hmm. still finding stats you can track that will will help coaches scout the opposition or you know prep their own team. Right. Uh, so. At, at James Madison, did you go in there knowing that you would want to major in sport management? Uh, the longer story, I kind of I went to George Mason for a semester for uh-huh. a year before, and then transferred back and back home to James Madison. But yeah, I always in sport management for a semester at Mason. I think it was like an econ major, um, but then ultimately it kind of became. I, well, how am I getting into the field? What's the best way to break into it? Is it is it just purely through education? Is it my degree going to break me in? And in reality, it wasn't going to. So I knew that sport management degree would kind of give me more time to do, you know, all the other soccer stuff I wanted to do. Um, right. And that's either through the internships that you set up, that you have to require to do the program, which I knew I want to put so much time into it regardless. I mean, for both internships, I got kind of wrote off uh, from the program, Jamie, that I could do with the soccer program. I just kind of do so much. And because I could prove that it was in the next step into a professional career, 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think they're required like 90 hours and 400 hours a piece. I think both times I would blow both hours of working on his internship over. <laughs> but, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and sport management it, it, itself is, you know, I would say just, you know, within the last 15, 20 years has grown exponentially as, you know, a, an a major in college. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I when I used to work at my alma mater was kind of the beginning of, of that major, and they brought in um, someone from another school to like take the the major to the next level. And you know, now like last year, uh, Rice University I think was ranked like the best sport management um, program you know in the, in the country. Mm-hmm. And that like I, I think it's really cool that it requires internships. Um, you know, like you're saying that require X number of hours because they really want you to see, you know, what it's like, uh, you know, yeah. to, to do, the, to do that work. So you, so you don't, you don't graduate with just the theoretical, but you've actually had, you know, the experience. So some of your experiences, um, other than, I, I assume you helped the James Madison team <laughs> a, mm-hmm. a lot, but yeah. you also got to spend a year with the U S youth national team programs, coding matches, and training sessions. So what, what was, what was that like? I mean, explain, explain, you know, to, to the listeners, like, what do you mean by coding matches? Yeah. Coding is, is a word that kind of just will be what I do on my laptop during the game. Um, it's still a program that's called sports code. And really what you do is you're making, you're creating events to watch live and to provide immediate feedback for the coaches and the players. Um, to then even help yourself post-match we're in a halftime to review things that you know went well or went poorly and be able to try to um, fix them or then you do it during or after. Um, and it's just, it truly is the coding is just the buttons you have set up on, on, a, on a program. And then it's, you know, I can call one you know, shot, Houston gas shot or, um, you know, attacking organized for um, the phase when we're attacking, going up the pitch. And through that, we can then label, um, the events based on kind of our principles of play um, to then be able to create even more detail in terms of what we're looking to to achieve on the on the field as a team. Um, and this, through that program, it's, it provides, it's probably the only thing I use on my computer every single day just to, um, to do everything I need to do. But, uh, hopefully that made sense. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just like, I know there's a lot of, you know, short terms for, yeah, this is what they do, but not everybody understands what that, you know, what that means in the details, right? Like, so, you know, last, last summer, um, during the challenge cup, you were remotely assisting sky blues coaching staff, uh, Mm -hmm. with analysis, you know, so what, what did that mean? That mean that you were coding matches of the opponents? Were you taking stats, you know, like like from Opta and looking at things, or you know, what, what did what did that mean? Yeah, so I would code the, their matches live and help them out post match if they wanted to use the, the events I was coding, or um, also look at the opposition and in turn uploading those, but also creating my own kind of report um, for them, and then pushing in. I'd sit down with. Um, Becky before every game, and we go kind of go through what we what we saw, and then she kind of take that and run with it from there. So I was using using my own coding and sports coding, also using StatsBomb um, to create those reports. And you even have uh, a, a second Twitter handle, um, women's soccer visualizations. Talk yeah. talk about that and and developing apps that create those visualizations because that's that's a whole nother level of data analysis. Yeah. yeah so that women's soccer visualization started back right before the the last World Cup in 2019, and it really I think just my own annoyance that women's soccer wasn't getting attention in terms of getting advanced data into, you know, when I was school through social media, so I just decided, all right, I'm just going to do it myself. Um, and it kind of coincided with the point where StatsBomb was releasing their, their data to the public for free. So it really made it really easy for me to do because already stuff that I was using internally to JMU, and I just flipped the code around to match the and at that point, it was starting things out with the World Cup, and then as that 
navigate further down the line was, uh, particularly when COVID hit, it was, sorry, I'm putting on board sitting on my couch now. It's, <laughs> what can I do now to kind of, you know, to put more things out? And it was then kind of talked to Josh, my head coach at Jamie. He was like, I want to do this. This is a lot of um, college information. As long as you don't think any college coaches would be upset if I put some of this stuff out that might, you know, break their team or anything. Um, I was like, yeah, fine, do it, whatever you want to do. Um, so I started putting out those little the things more lately about the college soccer stuff, which I think I've gotten, it's been nice seeing some feedback even from college coaches or throughout this last fall in reference to the apps that I put out there. There was, I got DMs from different um, college teams saying they were using it in their sky reports. So, uh, and then the app is just built in simple not simple, but it's Python code to then I run it through a string that is then hosted on host on the internet for anyone to see. But yeah. Now, do coaches um, look to you at all for um, kind of analyzing data on recruits, or is is most of your work mostly been on opposition? Because I, I'm assuming there's not a lot of stats on high school recruits. Yeah, it's most. Yeah, it's right. There's not a lot of information out there for um, high school recruits. We've done it. We did it at times at JMU. If there's a transfer that was out on the transfer portal, we're going to be like, "Hey, Michael, there's this kid. There's this one player out here. Can you, you know, go check her out and see what and what it looks like?" And then it'll be, you know, a quick little reference. I actually automated my own PDF where it'd be basically play on a, I don't know, a 15 or 16 page analytical report and just be running the code through and looking at it and then sending it also to the coaching staff to be able to look at it on their own and see what everyone thinks about the player and that aspect. So yeah, it made things really to be able to look at transfer. Um, well, and talk about um, how you got connected to the dash, how, how that job mm-hmm. opportunity came about. Yeah, it was actually related back to working with the youth national teams. It was, I worked at camp pre- the a previous week in England, and then the next week I went down to meet a team in Spain, and that was one who is the you know assistant with the dash. So then I was randomly connecting with her, um, maybe late September. Uh, I don't even remember what it was about. And then she just said, "Hey, you know, we might be looking to hire an analyst. You know, send me, you know, your resume or some other thing, cool things you've done. I'll pass along the day." And then, nice. You know, a couple of weeks later, it was I had a couple of conversations with James, and then now I'm here. And you know, what do you, what do your parents think about this? That it's like, wow, you got a job in women's soccer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've always known I was going to do. I know they were they were fighting. We've never. My family has always been concentrated in the. New England area before they even came down to JMU for grad school for what they did there, so they kind of stuck us there the same way. But yeah, so I think Texas is a new place to live for um, for the Poma family too. So they're excited. They're excited to watch the more women's soccer and win at home as well. So just instead of watching you know, a team I'm involved with. Yeah, and you know I love the connection that. I would think that they, anytime they're watching women's soccer, that they would immediately think of you, regardless of whether it was a league or a game you you yeah, were involved yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. Well, just a few few fun questions to wrap it up. I mean, what was what was watching the Challenge Cup like for you? As aside from obviously your work for Sky Blue, but I'm I'm assuming you watched every match, to, like a lot of fans did. Yeah, it was it was fun to watch. I think almost at a really close competition, watching you know the best league in the world to compete every three days, whatever it was. Um, I think sometimes the ten o'clock kickoff was a little too late for my liking, but uh, yeah, it was really fun to watch. But and then the additional benefit of being able to do you know coding and other things with it is something you know, I always like to do in watching games. You know, I think from the analyst perspective, it made it even more fun. And, you know, during all your work analyzing, do you end up um, developing favorite players based on their stats or is that a whole separate 
kind of category for you? Uh, good question. I think sometimes you poke through numbers and you see something like, oh, that's interesting. And then you kind of go look closer and see if it's actually, you know, showing something that truly is interesting. And then you look at, oh, she's doing this and, you know, she might be hiding a little bit and it will be kind of those favorite players that kind of pop up for me. Yeah, I'm just so intrigued that, you know, it's it's a different way to look at, at, at players, especially where I feel like because on, you know, the high school level and, and still even mm-hmm. in some areas at the college level, you know, you don't have all the data. So say like when yeah. we're prepping for the NWSL draft, there might be a player that has cachet to her name because of what school she went to. Or, you know, she got time with the national team or, you know, she had a really great season right before the draft. Right. But that doesn't necessarily give a coach enough information to know how she'll do with, you know, a particular team over a long season in a particular system you know so like did you you know watching the nwsl draft um you know did did you feel like there were players that's like wow i would have picked her higher or i'm surprised she's getting you know picked that high like i mean had you spent time analyzing any of that any of those players i mean i spent a little bit of time looking at the list just looking i guess i went in my list this year but looking at some of, the, some of the seniors coming out, just looking through you know, some of the things I put out through women's soccer visualizations and all that kind of stuff, or things I'd use internally at JMU. Um, I don't know about high or lower. I try not to always think that way because I know there's a lot of things that coaches have information to that the public doesn't always have in terms of, you know, maybe the player is going to go play overseas. Uh, right, for right. For Jimena uh, Lopez just went out today, that she's right. going over there. but. Um, with those kind of things, I think a lot of times it's down to, you know, is it going to fit the team the best, like you were saying, in terms of is that where that person is going to come from? Is it, do we see her as the best fit for our system? Um, yeah, I think that that's usually my first turning point of trying to evaluate what a team's going to do. Um, and then if, if I'm a little surprised, huh, maybe they're looking at this I undervalued there to kind of, which will also kind of help me auto-correct my own kind of mental model if I'm trying to predict what they're going to do next year around this time. Well, and it's a good point, too, that there's so many factors that, you know, even we don't know, you know, working the, the, mm-hmm. the draft analyst of, you know, conversations a coach may have had with a potential draftee, what her plans are, um, what her priorities are. And then, of course, the strict order of the draft, right? Like there, there might be yeah. somebody who like, well, they're the best player available, but they play a position that that team already has five of, right? Right, you know, right. so, so yeah, so you can never judge straight by, well, you only went second round. It's like, well, that's, that's <laughs> meaningless depending on, you know, who was available in that draft and what, yeah. what teams needed. Well, last question, the last question for you, Michael. Um, so, you, so you've arrived in Texas, you've, you've, you've found a place in Houston. Um, I usually ask this on, on the dash podcast, but I'm going to ask it on this one too. Have you found any you know, great restaurant yet in Houston, you know, where you've gone out and go like, Oh my God, this is, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, I haven't had a ton of restaurants around here. I went to a bit of Torchy's a couple of times. Torchy's tacos. Good. Yeah. yeah, Torchy's. Um, I think I don't know any local places. A lot of times I've been just trying to eat at home. Other places, I think how is just Torchy's. We had, I think, brothers tacos for breakfast one morning. Maybe we went somewhere for breakfast tacos, but yeah, I, I was I like torchies. It was I think an interesting twist on tacos, but yeah, they were good. I think it was something different than a normal, you know, chicken fajita taco. But yeah, I enjoyed it. Well, and of course, you know, you you're you're still pretty new here, so you know, I'm I'm sure next time you and I talk that you'll you'll have some some new favorites. But uh, yeah. you know, any recommendations well, too would be good <laughs> for food. Well, welcome to NWL. Welcome to the Dash, and and everyone can follow you um, on women's soccer visualizations, and also what is your other one, Michael. I think it's Michael R. Poma. Michael R. Poma, P-O-M-A. 
right time to wrap it up with the back four. At last, I have finished the 2020 Endibusel Almanac. It's more than 370 pages featuring comprehensive statistics and game notes for every season of the league, uh, including the 2020 Challenge Cup and Fall Series. Lots of great color photos. You can order the print edition, which will be available ship in a few weeks, or the PDF, which will be available for download this week. You can even buy both. Just head to KeeperNotes.com and click on NWSL Almanacs. And can you believe it? The 2021 NWSL preseason begins Monday. Signed players, draftees who aren't staying with their college programs, and several unsigned preseason invitees will start kicking the ball around next week in the 10 NWSL cities. Yes, we're up to 10 as Louisville begins its first preseason. Preseason for Indubsel is a bit longer this year for a variety of reasons. Um, rather than list them all here, I highly recommend uh, checking out Dan Laletta's recent post on EqualizerSoccer.com for information about this year's schedule and also playoff format. And to keep up with all the rosters, uh, trades, player signings, uh, retirements, transfers, preseason invitees, who's been drafted, who has whose rights, uh, I would recommend going to KeeperNotes.com, clicking on Woso Nerd Links, and one of the first pages on Woso Nerd Links that you can click to is my mega Google sheet of NWSL rosters. There's lots of other fun things on that page too. Hint, hint, scroll down, check out the obscure women's soccer video links. And before February is out, we'll have the sixth edition of the She Believes Cup with U.S. matches against Canada, Brazil, Japan, starting February 18th. All of those matches will be played in Orlando, and all will be broadcast live on Fox Sports 1. For more details, coasoccer.com. Keep in mind there will be a U.S. camp roster of about 26 to 28 players, probably named by, I'd say, February 8th. And then that roster will be cut down to 23 before the start of the tournament. All right, that's it for this episode of the Mix Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. I want to thank everyone who's listening or tweeting about this or emailing a question or sharing this with a friend. Uh, especially want to thank my producer, Sean, Sean Ringrose, whose podcast, his own podcast, you can check out at anchor.fm slash Jen Orange. And that's Jen with a G as in Generation Orange. So I'll say that one more time, anchor.fm slash Jen Orange. So big thanks to Sean for his production work and also to the Beautiful Game Network for making this podcast possible. But now she's a-